This episode of the Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast is brought to you by the Fun Astrology 101 course. If you'd like to learn the language of astrology in a fun and easy way, go to funastrology.com and check out the 101 course. It's right there on the homepage. Welcome to the Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast. Thomas Miller here along with Robert Glasscock continuing a little series that we started several episodes back and we're just going to intermix them like we did our secrets series and that is looking at when the sun is in proximity to a planet so we started with neptune because robert and i both have that in our chart pretty prominently so it was easy and then we thought well let's keep this going so we did mercury recently in another episode and this time we're going to cover when the sun is in the neighborhood or the proximity of venus so robert why don't we start with the good old conjunction we could begin there when the sun is conjunct venus what are we talking about well we're talking about an emphasis of whatever the planetary archetype is in the life force itself which is the sun so that the sun in essence, is shining the light on this archetype, and you're meant to pay attention to it probably above all in your life because it's so closely connected with the life force. And Mercury and Venus never get very far away from the sun, so they can't make a square to it or an opposition. But nonetheless, the closer that they are to a conjunction with the sun, the stronger is the emphasis on that Venus archetype in the life. So if you think about what houses venus rules in the natural wheel it starts with aries zero aries on the first cusp venus rules the second house and the second sign which is taurus it also rules the seventh sign and the seventh house which is libra so you begin to consider what does venus rule in life well, it rules money, you hear, and it rules love, you hear, and that is all true. But go a little deeper. Venus rules Taurus. Everybody thinks it's about material comfort, which it is. It's about material security, money security, monetary security, which it is. It's also really about self-worth. That's it. How you believe about yourself, what you value in yourself, self-worth, Venus conjunct the sun. This is a lifetime where you are meant to explore the Venus, your own inner Venus archetypes, which have to do with things like, A, valuing yourself and your talents and knowing what those are and figuring out a way to sell them. In, us, in other words, it's a marketplace out there. If you have something valuable to offer, which is your one of the Venus rulerships here, then learn to offer it based on the sign that that sun is in. If it's conjunct, if it's conjunct in Leo, then it's probably going to be partly about your own creativity that's accented in this life for you to develop. So Venus is very much associated with things like artistic creativity, music, photography, dance, all of the arts, theater, beauty, architecture, and certainly the financial realms of high finance, uh, the stock market, uh, investments, and so on. And the second thing that it rules is Libra over there at the seventh house, which is about partnerships, collaborations, marriages, joint ventures. It's also the house of lawsuits and the law, 
which is one of the reasons people with a Venus conjunct Saturn, conjunct the sun may go into the law as a profession or go into one of the arts as a profession. If the conjunction is in, say, a sign like Virgo, then they may have medical and wellness and health care talents, Venus again, that they can develop. So you look at the the sign that the Sun-Venus conjunction is in, how close it is, and begin to analyze it that way, and then take into account the actual house in the horoscope where that conjunction falls. And then you begin to get a sense of what that person's belief systems are about their own value, their own self-worth, their own talents, their own capacity to love, to give love, and to receive it. Some people are good at both. Most people are a little better at one than the other. And part of the trick in living, and especially in a relationship, is to learn to give love, but even bigger, learn to receive it. Most people who have issues in this area, it's not the giving it that's the problem. They don't, they're not comfortable receiving it until they get a handle on their own self-worth. So a Venus conjunct sun, if it's hard aspected by something else, that's already a setup for codependent relationships, if you're unconscious about it. If you're conscious about it, then you're learning to not only give love and talents and to follow your bliss, Venus, in terms of your career and your work and your service, but you're also learning to receive it back, which is usually the hardest thing. You know, as you were describing that, I thought of something that's a little bit offbeat here. Let me ask you this. We talk about malefic planets and benefic planets. Typically, Saturn and Mars are categorized as malefic, like when they come around, it's doom, 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 doom. And then Jupiter and Venus are given the characteristics of benefic status. And I know that you've incorporated that to some degree in your work and then some degree not. But I was just thinking, what about Venus as a benefic? I mean, look, half of the marriages end in divorce. So uh, let's talk about that of relationship or the law, you know, the, the lawsuit. That's the last thing you want is a lawsuit. That's not benefic. Or people lose all their money, or they have a hard time making money. Those are not benefic status type things. And yet, I remember we did an episode a while back on astrocartography, and we talked about Venus. I'm on my Venus line right now as a benefic, advantageous type thing. So how do you separate, like, is Venus really a benefic? Oh, such a great question, as usual. Uh, these old categories of malefics and benefics originated at a time when lives were shorter, much shorter than they are today, and when options were far fewer than they are today. When you were born into a lower caste, you were very unlikely to ever rise out of it. You couldn't. There weren't that many kinds of jobs to have, unlike today, etc., etc. In those days, I can understand why Saturn, for example, is considered a, a malefic. Think about it. I, I'm ruled by Saturn, and when I first looked at my horoscope, I thought, good gosh, this is a really horrible horoscope. Can I do anything about this, or is this my fate? But over time, you realize that the old sages and the old books are right about Saturn. The reason it's considered a malefic, I think, is because what it really is, is the planet of get real. 
get real. Face the facts about the issues involved in the house where Saturn is, the houses where you find Capricorn and Aquarius, and the aspects made to and from your Saturn. Because Saturn does rule hard work, time, dedication, structure. It rules the skeleton in the body. It's the framework of our lives, like it or not. So Saturn is only malefic for people who don't want to face reality and responsibilities. If you do that, if you take responsibility for where Saturn is in your chart and what it aspects, and you become an adult, and you learn what it really means, especially its hard aspects, because those are the big challenges, and you go deeper into them, then you begin to realize, oh, the constructive side of Saturn, namely taking responsibility, doing the due diligence in this area of my life, it will pay off according to the effort you put into it. It may be so hard that you give up on it. It's okay, too. And then it may seem to be a malefic, because if you give up on Saturn and fail to do the work that's implied, in a chart like this, we're just looking at, the, I don't know if you want to put this up, but in this chart, Saturn happens to be in the 8th house in Pisces. Well, yeah, we'll put you, it up. We'll, uh, it'll be in the show notes. Okay, you can download right. it. Yeah. All right, so Saturn here in Pisces, right off the bat, says this person is going to have problems with intimacy and relationships, particularly emotional and sexual energy. Now, there are several ways they can go when they're fronted, confronted with this. It's in Pisces. The obvious way is to have a few drinks and lower the inhibitions so that suddenly they can feel like they belong and they can show their feelings and they can have sex. Normally, if without the alcohol or whatever other drugs, they might be too inhibited. And that's one of the first things alcohol and drugs do is they lower inhibition. So you know that this person has got this challenge involving intimacy, sex, and this absolutely affects their marriage. You're getting all this from one thing, Saturn in Pisces in their eighth. So it shows confusion about love and marriage. One planet shows that. And then you begin to get into it with the person and ask them. It's a, it's a predisposition in a chart like this to have multiple relationships in life, more than one marriage. Some of them will be codependent. Some of them may end very tragically. To experience those kinds of Saturnian things, well, are they malefic or did you learn anything from them so you don't make the same mistake again, in which case Saturn becomes a huge benefic? And what you what you earn under Saturn, whether it's love and marriage or career success or a lot of money or whatever it is that you earn under Saturn is yours for life. But you have to grow up to do it, and that's why people think it's a malefic. The same thing is true with Venus. It's a benefic. Unless it's afflicted, square, opposition, let's say. Then Venus can go the other way. Instead of being loving and generous and compassionate and giving, it can become selfish and excessive, spend money unwisely, spend its emotions unwisely, spend its affections unwisely, and so on. Excesses go along with with Venus and Jupiter, 
the negatives all these archetypes have a negative side same thing with jupiter it's uh it is a benefic because it's of the nature of the part of us that wants to expand and grow and succeed but when taken to extremes jupiter winds up being excessive so in in hard aspect let's say to a mars and pisces jupiter can indicate alcohol is excessive drinking for example it can indicate obesity which threatens the heart the circulation the pancreas and so on and so on it has tremendous effects on the health it's supposed to be a benefic but when it gets out of hand then it isn't it's a malefic. So these old definitions are a little bit permeable in this day and age because we know more than we knew back then about how humanity operates and what a human being is, and then how these planets operate in life. So uh, the, the old definitions are good thumbnail quick sketch because, yes, you're going to have challenges wherever Saturn is, but it's not necessarily a malefic in the long run you know saturn has to do with age and time and experience so the further you get past tragedies in your life or broken romances and all of that the different perspective that you get on it puts it in in a kind of real focus and it turns out that you learned a lot out of that relationship or that experience even though it might have ended painfully you still learned a lot and probably wouldn't change a thing it's amazing to me. People get to the end of their lives and talk about, do you have any regrets? They may have had a horrible relationship, except they remember the part of it that was wonderful, that what brought them together in the first place. So I don't know if that helps with that answer about malefics and benefics, but uh, it, it ho I hope at least it stimulates some thinking about it. All right. And now we're going to point out here again that Venus cannot be in a square or in opposition to the sun because it never gets that far away from the sun. But you did mention afflicted. So what would be Venus afflicted? Well, Venus square Pluto, for example, or Venus square Saturn, or Venus square Uranus, or Venus are, are opposition to any of the, the outer planets are really more collective archetypes. So you're getting into, especially Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto are. So for example, Venus square Neptune, you may be brought up or wind up in an environment, especially during adolescence and into your say, early 30s, Venus square Neptune. It indicates disillusionment in love. It indicates fanatic attachments and romantic attachments in love. Very idealistic, very romantic, and very unrealistic so that the two are brought together at a level of dreams and fantasies and it can be incredible at the first at the beginning and then you begin to see each other's neuroses and self-destructive habits and that begins to eat away at the romantic ideal so there's the disillusionment venus square neptune is notorious for getting involved in relationships that have big issues about fidelity and trust. And once trust is broken in a relationship, it's very difficult to get it back. It can be done. It only can be done over time. And sometimes if the betrayal or the deception is enough, then you don't want to take the time to repair it because you know in your heart it can never be restored. You'll never trust them again. It can also apply to you in relationships. You may be the one with Venus square Neptune 
that in fact secretly does not want to commit to anybody, but you can't admit that. So you have to pretend that you do, and then you sneak around. So it can work both ways, but it is an aspect of romantic and also, by the way, financial disillusionment for the same thing. So Venus square Neptune can show unwise, immature, irresponsible handling of money because it's all wrapped up in that Venus archetype, which is not only about love and marriage and romance, it's about money and material security. So suddenly that Venus Neptune square can indicate a couple of things. On the negative side, it can indicate a lack of money handling skills, impracticality, extravagance, on and on and on. If you're an addict of some kind under Venus Neptune, that can be costly, so the expenses can get bad. But on the other hand, that same Venus Neptune square can indicate the artist, the musician, the creative person. It's the square is meant to cause you to pay attention to it. So you want to learn, well, what is it in me? What talents or interests do I have that correspond to this Venus? Because if I can identify those, Venus square Neptune is a wonderful aspect for a spiritual career because it is deeply curious about spirituality and metaphysics and religion. So it can it can become involved in those. The negative side of it is hypocrisy, just like we were talking about with infidelity and, and, and faithfulness and so on. If you if some people with that square absolutely can go into a field like religion, but Turns out they have a secret life, which we read about all the time. So it's a very interesting aspect. It can be really spiritual as long as the person is aware of this. Because Venus square Neptune can also be found in the charts of nurses, for example, and physicians and people who are by career, their choice of career depends on giving compassion Maybe it's given with a scientific or a medical knowledge to back it up, but it's about giving compassion and helping people heal, including the person who has it in their chart, helping them heal their self-worth and value systems to be more truthful about themselves and what they really want to do in their lives. And once they do that, the rest of it tends to fall into place. But very often, they will be people who try to live up to other people's expectations. They never do it because it never works, because the people that expect all that from them are making impossible demands. They want you to be like they are. Well, you may not be like they are. So are you going to sacrifice yourself to mommy and daddy or to your friends or the community? Or are you going to be faithful and true to what you really love to do and want to do more than anything else in life and go do it, even if it means leaving all those people behind? It's a wonderful aspect, but it's tricky. You know, another little tricky element of Venus that I was just thinking of is Venus as Taurus the bull, that stubbornness, that fixedness, doesn't seem to be uh, parallel to the artistic side of Venus, right? That can be so beautiful and so loving, and yet here you can have something that is so dug in and so inflexible. Where does that come from in Venus? Well, you know, the association with Taurus gives you the stubbornness, but Venus is not always in Taurus. So Venus in Gemini is anything but stubborn. Venus in Pisces can be stubborn too, but with Pisces, Venus in Sagittarius is also, um, it's very outspoken, but not necessarily stubborn. But look at the difference. Venus describes your love archetype, really. 
uh, you can have it anywhere. It's in its fall in Scorpio, for example, or detriment in Scorpio. So it's not a great sign for Venus because it becomes sexually obsessed one way or the other. It can be totally celibate. That's a kind of sexual obsession. I don't want to have sex with anybody in this lifetime. Okay, don't. It's fine. But it's a choice. So, And Venus in Scorpio is also one of the signs of the prostitute in astrology, too. You'll read this in the old books. A to Z delineated. Well, it certainly can be. But really what it's about in Scorpio is about spiritual love. It's an emotional water sign. It's the eighth house sign. It's about transformation and rebirth and regrowth. So maybe you have a life that's partly uh, sexually obsessed, let's say, if you're in a certain community in a certain era, and then you outgrow that and you become, you realize that sex and spirituality are very much connected. And the sign of Scorpio is where that connection happens. The act of lovemaking and being in love and having sex is supposed to be transformative for both parties. And the truth is, it always is, whether either party is aware of it or not. You're commingling electromagnetic fields and biochemical um, fields as well, the juices and so on involved in lovemaking. So it's a tremendous experience, an emotional one as well as a physical one. And both people are changed on a minute level when they make love together. Their electromagnetic fields incorporate some of the other persons, their biochemical fields in the body, ruled by Pisces. This is the immune system. And what are sexually transmitted diseases, but attacking the immune system. So you can see these correlations all through astrology, and you have to watch out then with the Venus uh, square some of these, these other planets, because it can become not a benefic at all, but it can become an addict, basically a sex addict, a money addict, a power addict. But it has trouble balancing everything. It tends to see everything in black and white. You either love me 100% or you don't love me at all, which is a very selfish and controlling way to be. Complex archetypes, aren't they? Very, when you get into them, but so enriching when you do, especially if you add psychology to your astrology, then you begin to really make a lot of sense out of these horoscopes. This is one of the reasons I love Liz Green's book on Saturn. Saturn, a new look at an old devil. She she is a psychotherapist, and she does a really good job of delineating what Saturn means in the houses and by aspects, and Saturn in the signs. Really, it's an excellent book. I think everybody should uh, should get it just to know what Saturn is all about. Because if you do, you'll be the best astrologer there is. Yeah, you've mentioned that book is one of the top, but certainly top five probably on your list. Yeah, it really well, is. when you think about love and money all under the same umbrella, that's why we're studying it. So thank you for this. Excellent job on it. And thank you for listening. If you would like to check out our show notes, it has all the relevant information of everything happening in the podcast including a link to Robert's readings, where, yes, he is booking. And if you would like to talk to him about your chart, that is available. You can find that in the show notes. And we will have a copy of the chart that he was referencing, so you could see at least that Saturn position that he was referring to. Thank you so much again for listening. We'll see you next time on Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast with Robert Glasscock. Music.